Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. All right. Well, it is good to see you guys this morning. As I told the, the first service, I said, I'm not going to put my water here because I don't want to have a mishap. I know, don't feel bad, Pastor Josh. If I would have done it, it would have really been bad. <laughs> and so, hey, this morning we are going to continue on our series in the kingdom of heaven uh, as we open up our hearts to what God is speaking to us out of Matthew chapter 5. We've been there. We've been in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to keep going a little bit. Last week, Pastor Josh unpacked uh, the, the uh, let your yes be yes and your no be no. He talked to us about vows and how important those are in our lives as uh, we respond to people around us and as we respond to God, right? Well, those things are important for us that we yet let our yes be yes and our no but no. But normally, the message that I'm going to speak to you would be a, ahead of that, but we just kind of moved it around a little bit. And, but they both correlate together. We understand that correlation uh, with the vows. And we're going to look together here in just a moment in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 to 32. And uh, it's not actually the easiest passage to talk about, but it is one of those passages that Jesus deals with and he challenges us as his followers to follow his way. And so here is that we have overarching theme of the kingdom of heaven, and he's giving, he's still working on and helping us understand some of the norms of the kingdom of heaven, and what it is to follow him and to be in his kingdom. And have you, have you ever been on a team in your life? Maybe you had a coach that said to you, Let, let's just get by this season. Let, let's just hang out. Let's not really work very hard. I don't know about you, but I've had some coaches over the years not recently because I'm older, but when I was in school, uh, when I was in a, a middle school, grade school, middle school, and high school, I liked wrestling. That was one of the things I did. I did some other sports. I, I played football a little bit, broke my arm, decided that wasn't for me because it messed up wrestling. <laughs> so, you know, you do different things and you, have, and you have these coaches in your life. Well, I remember my wrestling coach. He's, he's passed away since, but that guy, he was something. He was, he was one of those guys that was a quiet spoken individual. But you know, know he meant business. And uh, one of the things that he would never have uh, been okay with is for us when we were practicing just to get by. Or when we were wrestling in a match that we would just get by. It just didn't work that way for him. He expected us to invest in what we were doing. To invest with everything that we have. And, and if he caught us while we were in practice, and you know, you know how it is to be youth and you're practicing or whatever, and it's like, I'm tired. I'm going to sit back for a little while. Maybe some of the adults say right now, I'm tired too. Uh, but, but you know, hey, it's, uh, that's what we did. We were wrestling, and he, if we sloughed off, that coach would be right on us. You need to wrestle now like you are in a match. So that's the way it worked. Why? Because as we do that, as we as we push hard in our lives to follow the Lord, too, we recognize it makes us stronger. It makes us more resilient. When we, when we face the real battles in life, then it's easier to follow Him. We find Jesus again in this situation raising the bar. He's raising the bar again, and 
It may be that there's someone in your life that has been like the coach that I spoke of, that they spoke into your life and they helped you. Maybe they were a follower of Jesus and they challenged you uh, to follow the Lord. And the reason usually coaches gave us such a hard time is because they saw potential in our lives. They saw something in us that most of us did not see. And I think it is the same with us in the Lord. The Lord sees potential in each and every one of our lives, and He wants to work in us and through us. We're going to jump right into this really tough passage. And I don't want to out, but understand the spirit of what is being said. In fact, because these words really come from Jesus the Messiah. I didn't form them. It wasn't something I did. But it is something that he formed and he spoke to the people of his day. And they relate to us even. It's here that he raises that bar. And why do we need to look at this? Well, Jesus sees potential in us. Jesus really challenges us not to be mediocre. Nobody really wants to come out and be mediocre, do they? Nobody wants to be mediocre, but, but he does this by saying, you have heard it was said. In other words, you, you've heard it said, and that's what everybody says around you too. You've heard it was said, but I tell you. It's like Jesus is helping the people of his time to quit living or quit thinking like people who don't really follow God's plan for their lives. So let's, let's just rip off the bandage, bandage, okay? Let's just go in, let's jump in here together. And we see in chapter 5, verse 27, and this is what Jesus says. You've heard it said, uh, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already co committed adultery with her in his heart. And he says right on verse 29, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to, uh, to lose one part of your body than to, for your whole body to, go, to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. And now, after he says that, it's a tough statement, right? But after he says that, he moves on into the next portion of this, and, and he says this, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her a victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. He's dealing with some issues there, and we're going to get into some of that a little bit later. But, uh, we won't deal with all of it, but, but we're going we're gonna to touch base on this. And this is... This is uh, it's here so that you can see that Jesus, again, is raising this bar. And why? Well, we're going to have to discover some things of what he says here in this passage. And Jesus isn't simply making a random statement. He's not doing that. Uh, we, we see that he's saying some meaningful things to those he is speaking to. And in our day, he still is talking to us. And we realize that we have, uh, we've all been affected either directly or indirectly by the actions of other people in our lives, right? Just a reality. We live in this world, and so because of that, we're affected either directly or indirectly. And before you even think about allowing condemnation to grip your life, if you've walked through or if you've experienced these things, please, uh, you need to understand some things just right off the bat, that neither one of these sins are unpardonable. 
They're not unpardonable. That doesn't mean that we should choose to live in a moral lifestyle. So we understand that as well. But, but you, you may have sinned, or maybe your spouse or former spouse may have, and yet there is forgiveness from God. It's important. In fact, we find Jesus tell, telling a woman who was caught in the same kind of mess these words. He says, now, or go now and leave your life of sin. There in John chapter 8, verse 11, and in some translations, he says, go and sin no more. And so we find that no one is left unharmed when uh, a couple faces separation, but it can be a very painful thing. And over the years, I've sat down with those couples that have walked through those difficult times. It is never easy. No one is left unscathed. They have to look to the Lord for healing. Yet people can come to a place of forgiveness even between each other. And I've seen that happen before. What is important is that we don't focus on the hurts of the past, but that we look forward to learn how to please God in the state that you are in. We can't can't change what has happened in the past. What we can do is we can look to Him in the state we're in. I've got three things for you this morning that we need to look at as we uh, look at this passage this morning. And the first one really is, some of the same type of thing that we're dealing with in all of the Sermon on the Mount, but it's Jesus came to emphasize the spirit of the law. Jesus came to emphasize the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. doesn't mean that he doesn't value it. You, you heard Pastor uh, Josh talk about the letter here a while back, and it was very, under, very good and very understandable. That's important for us to grab a hold of. Uh, but these people, what Jesus was dealing with, people were looking for loopholes. How, how can we get around this? They could find a way that uh, they could be seen as following God's command. They could be seen as following His, his way, uh, and that's the problem. It's just being seen, right? Yet they ignored the spirit of the law. It's kind of like when you're driving on the road in your car. If you drive on the double line and don't go all the way over, right? If you drive on the double line, it's like you can drive for a long time. You just hope somebody else doesn't drive there too, right? Uh, But that double yellow line is there for a reason. Really, the spirit of the law is to be able to stay on the right side of that line, right? Because if you stay on the right side of that line, one, you're safe. And the other oncoming traffic that you are meeting, they're safe too, as long as they stay on the, uh, their right side of it. And so, but sometimes people like to ride the fence. They like to ride those double yellow lines. And, and you, you may complain if you're doing that and say, you know what, look, I'm riding on those two lines. And that's okay. There's not a problem with that. But what happens when you meet the oncoming traffic? And they're driving on that double yellow line as well. It's crash and burn, right? It's destruction. And so we have to make sure we realize, sure, there's the, there's the letter of the law, but there's also the spirit of the law as well. The reality is we end up breaking the spirit of the law. So why? why? Because the, the idea is to protect you and the oncoming traffic from a collision. Here in Matthew chapter 5, 27 and to 30, Jesus is really talking to the, uh, addressing the desires that, that precede adultery is what he's dealing with. Uh, in fact, two weeks back, Pastor Steve unpacked how Jesus dealt with the, the sin of anger and how 
uh, that the how anger itself in the wrong in the wrong way ends up preceding murder, right? So that becomes a problem. But now Jesus is dealing with the sin of lust, and in so many words, lust is simply wanting something uh, that uh, that God is saying you should not have. So Jesus says over here in Matthew chapter. 15 verses 19 to 20, uh, that, that the real problem is not dirty hands, but it's a dirty heart. And the, it comes down, it's a heart issue. It becomes that heart issue. And, and there needs to be a change of heart. When I first come to faith in Christ, I realized that I, uh, before I came to faith in Christ, and some, many of you have heard my story, but before I did, up in church, I sit on the pew every Sunday because my parents made me, and, and you know, so I did that, and that was all good. And uh, but the fact was, is although I sat there all that time, even had people calling me a great Christian at the time, but in my heart, I knew that that was not the fact. I sat in church; that just made me a church goer. And I think in the days that we're living in right now, we've learned even more so that the church is not the building, but the church is the people. There has to be some kind of a heart change. I remember when I did come to faith, and because uh, before that I tried to be all this righteous, goody stuff, you know, to see if I could get into heaven, could I do this Christian thing? And then I realized that I needed more than that, and I realized it was a heart change, and I had to come to a faith place where I gave my life to Christ. And then once that happened in my life, I realized it changed my perspective. It changed how I lived because I realized I needed to make sure that uh, what I did was right in God's sight. It's a heart change. It gave me the desire to be able to follow after the Lord and to walk with Him. I thoroughly believe that the heart change, change will come with the willingness to adjust how we live and think. It's when you come to the place where you are willing to let God's Word speak into your lives. If we're unwilling to let God's Word speak into our lives, all we really have left is just old dead man-made religion. And that's what Jesus is trying to deal with, and He's attempting to correct it. And the Pharisees emphasized the external observance or the latter of the law and tradition. They included those things that they, they tended to ignore the spirit of the law. They let their traditions overrule uh, the Bible itself or the scriptures. And the fact is their tradition uh, really was their own loopholes. And we must be careful as followers of Jesus because we all have traditions, right? We all have little traditions here and there. If you come to this church or that church or another church, we all have little traditions and we have to make sure that those things don't overrule our lives but we allow the Scripture to have the last word for us. We have to be careful with that. So we go on and we see what he says there in 27. He says, you have heard that it was said. You see, I underlined that one. You shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And here's something that you have to remember. We understand it was a different day and time, and Jesus was speaking primarily to men in this situation. Uh, because of the way the world worked back in that day and time. But the reverse is equally true. The sa it's the same for us today in our world. So women, you're not off the hook. You're not left out either. It comes on both sides. Uh, go both sides. So Jesus taught the disciples to pray 
to avoid entering temptation. We see that in Matthew 26. Some of you know the Lord's Prayer, uh, and, and you could probably quote that, but quoting that is good, and it's important because we can remember those things, but we also understand that there's something that we should learn from them and apply into our lives as well. So we see that prayer is one of the ways that we can become spiritually strong to be resilient in our walk with Christ. So to be strong, uh, your prayer life needs to be more than a simple prayer at church or a simple prayer before, before dinner or lunch or whatever. But there are some other things uh, we need to do as well, which is stay accountable. Stay accountable to one another in the Lord and, and engage a trusted friend or pastor that can help you in your focus. And that's one of the benefits with being part of a, a ministry like CR, Celebrate Recovery. Uh, doesn't mean it, it, it's one of those things to help people walk through their hurts and their hang-ups and those things that they deal with in this life. Now, I believe we're going to be starting that back up in, in July. I think is what the what they're saying now. So why is it that Jesus deals with this subject? Well, for one reason, God has blessed the physical relationship of a man and a woman in marriage, but outside of marriage, it displeases God. Jesus even takes this, uh, he takes this uh, action to its core. Keeping the spirit of the law means allowing Jesus to be Lord of our private thoughts. It means bringing every thought into submission. I love what the Apostle Paul says over in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. And if you don't know this scripture, you probably should write it down, at least write down the address to it, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, and it says this, we demolish arguments, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, I do recognize the context there that Paul is dealing with defending the gospel ministry, but we can also apply that lives and what we are thinking on. We find something else even that the Apostle Paul writes over in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. As I look at these passages and I see what Jesus is saying, I think that we must be able to generalize just a little bit and recognize this isn't just only for lust or this situation, but these really expand out across the board as we deal with the things that we think about in everyday life. And it's important for us as followers of Jesus that we recognize that he does give us some weapons, so to speak, to be able to handle these things as we deal with thoughts in our life. Those, that is very important for us. But he says something else there that I believe is so entirely important out of Romans 12. One, he's like, living out our faith, living in every day for the Lord, really shows our true and proper worship. So living everyday life and living it God's way is really the greatest form of worship. It's not just in here. Now, it's not that this isn't important. This is important. We realize how important it is because we want to lift up the, uh, the Lord collectively. But we also understand that living as an individual in the world that we live is so important for us to follow Him. 
One of the early scriptures that I learned as, as a follower of Christ growing up was Romans 8, 6. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Maybe it's an older translation, but it was one of those challenges to us to keep our, remind ourselves and to keep ourselves thinking on the things that are right, that are just, that are true, that are pure as we follow the Christ. Here's the, the second thing we're going to look at this morning is deal with your tendency to sin seriously. Deal with your tendency to sin seriously. Jesus is saying, don't ride the fence. <laughs> don't ride the fence. Don't live in that way. Because why? Because God has some wonderful blessings for all of us, all of us as followers of Jesus. He has some great things for us. Work hard to keep yourself from driving on that double yellow line. Maybe you guys will remember some of the sermon when you drive home, especially if you're the driver, right? And then somebody in the other seat pokes you in the, elbow, in the side, in the ribs and says, stop driving over there. The religious people of Jesus' day showed others how to drive on the double yellow line when it helped them to get what they wanted. Have you noticed that? You can't, you can't just not read the New Testament and find that that's the case. In fact, Jesus said things to those religious leaders like this. He said, you're, you're the blind leading the blind. In other words, you don't know what direction you're going, so how can you direct anybody else? Because they're looking for all of these loopholes to what? Make themselves look good on the outside, but it doesn't change the inside. Jesus said this, verse 29, he said, if you're right, and this is a tough one, he said, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away, it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to, go, to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away, it's better for you to lose one part of your body for than, than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, right away, when we read that, we say, what in the world is Jesus talking about? That's a little crazy. Okay, well, we understand right away he is speaking to these people and he's making what we call hyperbole or an overstatement. He is trying to make sure people get the point. He's trying to say, do you hear what I'm saying? And he's trying to make them understand what is important. Remember, the subject that, dealing, uh, that Jesus is dealing with there is lust and adultery. Uh, but he, uh, he shows everyone that sinful actions really stem from the thought life of a person. And that's what we saw with the anger and the murder thing, right? We saw the same thing there as well. And it comes from desiring something that is not for them, that they shouldn't have. In the Old Testament law, in the Old Covenant, uh, God said, you shall not covet, covet your neighbor's wife. And it can flip the other way as well. And we could add that. But there, here's the deal. Jesus is not teaching self-harm. We have to understand that. Jesus is not teaching uh, that you should harm yourself so that you don't sin. He is not teaching that. That's why we call that hyperbole. That's why we call it overstatement, because that's not okay. Jesus would never say that that is okay. That's not the right thing to do. This is why we have to learn to put the fruit of the Spirit called self-control into practice in our lives. Put it into action. God has given you the ability. He's given you these, these fruit. Remember, it's not fruits, but it's fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. 
Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, temperance, self-control, etc. If I missed one. There's a bunch of those. Those things are important, and, and self-control is one of those. It's important for us to have that working in our lives. God has given you this ability, and self-control is something like lifting weights. Have you ever lifted? You know, when you, when you lift weights, you know, one of, the, one of the reasons why you do it is what? To stay healthy, makes your bones stronger, makes your muscles stronger. And of course, if you're out there for sports or something, you do that so that you can be stronger and play well at the top of your game. And, and, but, but really, to be strong and to be able to be resilient spiritually, you have, to, you have to lift some spiritual weights. You have to have those disciplines in your life like prayer, but you also need to apply this, uh, this uh, fruit of self-control. It's an important thing for you and I, for all of us as followers of Jesus, so that we can follow the Lord's plan in our lives. Maybe you have one of those thoughts that's contrary to the Word of God. It may not be even about the subject that we're talking now. It could be about something else. But that that's what you have to do, what the Apostle Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Where we use that self-control, that piece of fruit that God has given us, that self-control, and we apply it into our lives. It, it's, a, it's a choice partnership that we take on with the Lord and with ourselves. This is where we learn not to let our thought life control us, but we have to control our thought life. See, no one sees what you're thinking except you and God. Aren't you glad? <laughs> Could you imagine what that would be like? You, you get up in the morning and, uh, and somebody in your house, they have that like little screen on their forehead and it says every thought. For some, it's like, you have bad breath. They didn't want to say that. <laughs> You guys there? Okay. So maybe they said, that dress just doesn't look good, or that, 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 those pair of jeans, that, that's just not, they don't look good either. You know, who knows? You would see what people were saying before they actually said it. But the thing is, is that God sees our heart. He sees our mind. He knows what we're thinking. And it's, it's from our thinking that so many actions can be taken because of the seed of a thought that you allowed to sprout. Honestly, that can be for good or bad, right? It can be a good thing. Maybe you were thinking about your neighbors. Maybe, maybe your neighbors were in need. Maybe you knew that they had been low on food. Maybe they were out of work in this, uh, this uh, pandemic thing that we've had, and maybe you helped them out. Maybe you went over and took them some food or, or maybe helped them to get something and, and to assist them. Maybe they, their, yard, their lawnmower was broken, and so you had been thinking about what you can do to help them, so you go mow their yard. Uh, without charging them, you just do it to help them. Not because it's going to benefit your yard, right? But because you care for them. Otherwise, that's a caveat. Jesus, we see here, is challenging us. Jesus emphasizes the spirit of the law. He told us to deal with our sin seriously. So this brings us really to these last couple verses. And they're really, they're set in the context of how we think about others and how we and that seed of thought. So he says here in verse 31, 32, he says, it's been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of, of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman become, commits adultery. And this is a tough passage here, and there's more to it. You can look more over 
in, uh, in Matthew 19 on your own at some point, but, uh, but here Jesus was really, in this case, he was protecting the sanctity of marriage. That's what he was doing. He was protecting the sanctity of marriage. And you say, what in the world is the word sanctity mean? Well, there's a couple ways that we can explain that. One, we can say purity. We can say being pure. Uh, we could also use the word holy or holiness, something that, that is set apart. It means it's something that is set apart to be special. And that's God's intention for marriage. But before we go very, very far, let's apply Jesus' words about thinking in the heart to these connected verses. Don't go into a relationship thinking about divorce. Don't go into a relationship thinking about divorce. If you start a relationship that way, it's going to really make it dif difficult for you both when times get tough. And they will get tough, I guarantee you that. Because that's just part of life, right? It's just part of the nature of the world that we live in. And I think that's why the Apostle Paul said over in Corinthians talked about for some, he says, hey, if you're single like me, stay single. Because uh, he knew it was a challenge. But don't, don't go into a relationship thinking about that because that is going to even reduce your chances even more. Some of you have walked down the path, that painful path, and we, but we know that there is forgiveness there's not one person here that hasn't sinned or failed in some way. Not one person. All of us, as Scripture says, all of us have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter what it was. And remember, I said even this is not the unpardonable sin. It affects a lot of people. Yes, it does. It hurts a lot of people. But yes, there is forgiveness. Don't keep looking back on your sin. Don't keep looking back on the past. If you, have, if you have asked for forgiveness from your heart, Jesus Christ will forgive you. Don't keep looking back on your sin. Corey Ten Boom was a very interesting individual. Nearly, what, 100 years ago, back in World War II, it's not that far, I know. But, but uh, Corey Ten Boom, with her family, went into the concentration camps, the Nazi concentration camp, a horrible thing that they went through. And her sister was so, Betsy was so strong and, and loved the Lord and kind of had a handle on some forgiveness. But, but for Corey, she lost Betsy and her family in the concentration camp. Very sad thing that she went through. She had to walk through what it meant to forgive. She had to walk through that. And uh, one of the things that she said is forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. No matter how you feel about the situation, you can still choose to forgive. You can still choose to forgive. And then Corey also said, God buries our sins in the depths of the sea and then puts up a sign that reads, no fishing. In other words, don't go back to it. Stop going back to it. That, that the Lord puts that sign, don't, no fishing. You can't come back and just get, wallow in that, stay in that. You have to allow the Lord to bring healing in your life. For some, you need to stop looking back to the past because it's affecting your future. And if God has forgiven you, then you must be willing to forgive yourself and follow what the Lord Jesus says. And he simply says, go and sin no more. 
we need to look at this passage a bit to find out some other things that we may not have noticed 2,000 years later. Uh, but uh, here there's at least three things we need to see. Jesus, uh, he deals with this passage, and, and, he said, and really we understand it protects what he was doing, protected the sanctity of the marriage from something indecent. Uh, that's uh, what we see there in the original language. It's a sin, some kind of a sin that tainted the relationship. And marriage is holy between one man and one woman. Nothing is to come between them. And the, the best assumption is that indecency was an immoral behavior, may have included, but may not be restricted to adultery or some form of misconduct. But also, the second thing was, is it was to protect the woman from a husband who, uh, who might simply send her away without cause. See, at that time, a man could have done whatever he wanted to do, but Moses limited what he was going to do. And there had to be a real reason for him to send them away. So then you have the certificate uh, documented her status as a legitimate a legitimately divorced woman so that she was not thought to be a prostitute or a runaway adulteress. Although divorce was allowed, we understand it was never God's intention. Here's the deal. Even at the time that Jesus is speaking, and sometimes we don't catch this unless you really look at what scholars are saying in other writings of the time. And in the mainstream Judaism in Jesus' time, opinion was divided into two camps, and both allowed divorce of the woman, of the woman by the man. Remember, it was a different time. The, the woman could not do that, the, only the man at that time. And the reverse was not considered. So it was based on the grounds of something indecent. And that comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. But, they, they dis, but, but these different camps disagreed on what was indecent, what indecent may include. So to the liberals of that day, uh, indecent may be that they were, uh, that spouse was a poor cook. Like, you didn't cook my eggs right? You're out of here, buddy. You're gone. And uh, so Jesus is taking care of some of those issues by saying, making the statement that he's making. It's like, you can't do that. That's not right. You're treating that lady horribly. And so he's correcting some of those things. See, those guys, the liberals of their day, they were looking for a loophole. Jesus wasn't okay with that. You have to remember, Jesus said, it has been said. And then he goes on to say, but I tell you. Jesus cuts his own path in these verses. And he does so in a time when many Pharisees, and this is known by scholars, many Pharisees, their frequency of divorce was an open scandal at the time. Josephus was a historian, a Jewish historian of that period, and, uh, and he was a divorcee, and he, wa he was a Pharisee, in fact. Not only was he a historian, he was a Pharisee. And Josephus wrote his view of divorce in that it was permitted for any, for any causes whatsoever. Then cook right, you're out of here. I mean, he could, he, they could do anything at that point. But here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 31 to 32, it's said in a sermon where Jesus gives the standards of the kingdom and the sanctity of marriage. This reminds us that Jesus taught that Moses let them separate simply because their hearts were still hardened. 
They weren't working it out because their hearts were hardened. And it really takes us back to the crux of this message. So as we wrap this up this morning, Jesus emphasized the spirit of the law. He emphasized the spirit of what the scripture was saying. Don't look for the loopholes when you follow God and in your relationship. Treat others well. He also told us to deal with our sins seriously. Use your God-given self-discipline that He provides for you. Use it to keep your minds focused on the things that please God and honor Him. As your spiritual muscles. Ultimately, Jesus, He taught us that if we're to be part of the kingdom of heaven, we must hold marriage up higher than our society teaches even today. For some, you, you may have been looking back so much to the past that you have found it difficult to move forward on God's path. Let this day, let it be a healing for you. I know the words of Jesus here are tough, but let it be a day of healing for you. You have to be able to accept those words of Corey Ten Boom and what she based on Scripture God buries our sin in the seas of forgetfulness. He puts up that sign and says, no fishing. Don't go back to that. Allow God to work in your life. Allow the Lord to bring healing. Allow Him to bring forgiveness in your life so that you can move on to follow the Lord. Then be courageous to recognize that you can hear the call of Jesus to come and follow me. Would you stand with me this morning? I know for some of you this isn't the most welcome return sermon for you. But it is the words of Jesus. And as we're here in the Lord's presence this morning, it can be a welcoming sermon to you as you recognize that the Lord is the one who heals. The Lord is the one who forgives. And God is the one who can give second chances. We can all be grateful for that. We can all be grateful that God has been kind to us. You know what Jesus did? He came and He lived His life. And He died on the cross to pay for our sins. Including all of us. Jesus came to give His life so that we could be forgiven. And so that we could be brought into the house of God. So that we could be brought into the presence of God. I am grateful for that. I am grateful that there is healing for each and every one of us as we look to Him in faith. Because He is good. And He is the healer. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, I pray that, Lord, that You would just bring healing. Healing for those who have kept looking back on the mistakes of the past. I pray that you would restore them as they look to you in faith. Father God, I pray that you would strengthen their lives, that they may continue to follow you in a way that, Lord, you're excited about. You're saying, yes, that's my kid. Oh, I know they fall, but I'll pick them back up. First John 1, 9. If we confess their sins, they're faithful. I'm faithful and just to forgive us forgive them of their sins and to cleanse them from all unrighteousness. Father, I thank you that you are the Lord, our healer. You're the Lord who forgives. 
And Father, I pray this morning as we, as we sing this final song together, may we worship with all our hearts.